For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. You're here because you want the very best information possible about medical cannabis, and you know this is the place to be to get that information week after week. I'm bringing you doctors and researchers and growers and lab owners and anybody who's doing really interesting stuff in the medical cannabis world so that you can educate yourselves on this important topic and go out and help others learn as well, because it's not just about you and me. It's about who we also come in contact with because it's up to us, folks. It really is to let everybody else know the science behind this medicine so that we can get rid of these stigmas, so we can help to quell some of that skepticism. And this week's guest is someone who is on that mission. Dr. Kevin Hill goes out of his way to train physicians how to be more educated on the topic of medical cannabis. And he just released a book called Medical Marijuana, a clinical handbook. And I've had him on the show before with this co-author, Dr. Samoon Ahmad, who you'll hear from in another couple weeks. But I needed to have these guys back because they were just so brilliant and had so much to share. And this was kind of a quick episode, didn't get the usual hour or so that I get with most of my guests, but he was gracious enough to share some time with me, and I definitely made the most out of it. We moved pretty quick, but we filled this half hour with a lot of incredible information. And if you haven't already, make sure that you head over to wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast and give me a rating, please. Every time that I get a rating, it helps more and more people get their ears on this content. And if you want to make sure that people are learning about medical cannabis, number one, give me a rating. Number two, be an ambassador. Go out and tell people what you are learning about here. Spread the word, my friends. And without further ado, I bring you Dr. Kevin Hill. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast, and today I am happy to welcome back Dr. Kevin Hill. And for those of you who didn't listen to the first episode, let me remind you of some of his qualifications. Dr. Hill is Director of Addiction and Psychiatry at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He most commonly treats patients who have problems with alcohol, cannabis, or opioids and has been named one of Boston Magazine's top doctors for the past two years. 
He teaches medical students and physicians how to treat patients with addictions and treats professional athletes as well as airline pilots. The author of Marijuana, The Unbiased Truth about the world's most popular weed and the co-author of Medical Marijuana, A Clinical Handbook, Dr. Hill's research interests include the development of medications to treat cannabis use disorder as well as cannabis policy and he has published widely on these topics. In 2018, he was awarded a grant to summarize the research on the therapeutic use of cannabis, and he presented his findings to the World Health Organization's Expert Committee on Drug Dependence in Geneva, Switzerland. Dr. Hill, thank you so much for joining me again on the show. Thanks for having me back, Matthew. Great. Well, this is an opportunity to dig in a little bit further to some of the subjects that we didn't have a chance to cover in that first interview. And being that you teach about psychiatry and you're a psychiatrist yourself, I figured that's a pretty good place to start. Um, Maybe you can go into a little bit more about what you're seeing with cannabis and psychiatry. Well, so I think as we covered maybe in the the first episode, I think part of of how my practice may differ from some folks who do research in this area is that I see folks at both ends of the spectrum. So in a given clinic session, I might treat a patient who has a problem with cannabis. So again, about 9% of adults who use cannabis develop what we'd call a cannabis addiction or cannabis use disorder. For young people, it's a little bit higher than that, but I may see one of those patients, somebody using every day, multiple times a day to the detriment of work, school, or relationships. But in the next hour, I might see somebody who has chronic pain and they've done everything right. They've taken multiple medications under the advice of their physician. They may have had injections and they're thinking about using cannabinoids to treat chronic pain. Uh, So I see that wide spectrum. Most of the patients that I see have psychiatric disorders, and so it becomes tricky. A lot of people do want to use cannabinoids, either whole plant cannabis or cannabidiol, to try to help some of those symptoms, but unfortunately, the data uh, is not as strong as we'd like it to be in those cases. And so there are some times when it may make sense to try a cannabinoid, for example, Uh, If a patient has what we call treatment refractory anxiety, so anxiety that is not responded to either psychotherapy or medications like selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, then that may be a situation where I would talk to a patient about trying CBD. And so that is a pretty common um, consultation that I'll do these days, talking to patients who've gone through a lot of hoops and really haven't had relief from their anxiety that they're hoping for. And so for that patient, it may make sense to sort of coach them through using cannabidiol and then carefully monitoring for potential side effects, but also trying to measure their anxiety symptoms to see if it's really working. So that's kind of a a good example. It's tricky though, because you have to have a good relationship with the patient and you also need to be able to have an honest conversation about them. And if you do that, you will have times when you don't think that cannabis makes sense for a patient or cannabinoids make sense for a patient. And on the other side, there are times when it does make sense. So so I think that's where it becomes tricky. As we probably talked about in the first segment of your podcast, uh, unfortunately, cannabis is so polarizing that people tend to stake very strongly on one side or the other. And, And as we're finding out, a lot of the answers are in the middle right? It can be a tremendous 
treatment for certain conditions, but there also are a lot of other conditions where we just don't have the evidence yet to use it as a first line or a second line treatment. Yeah, thank you. And I know that uh, FDA approved studies are few and far between when it comes to cannabis, but one of the most recent ones was around PTSD. Uh, do you, can you speak to that at all? And do you have any experience with your patients? Well, I'm not, not sure wh- which study you're talking about in particular. I mean, I think oh, the that... the MAPS study that w- was run uh, the year before last. Okay, so so I think that conceptually, I think it makes sense to think about. So when we think about cannabinoids and and which ones may be helpful for which conditions, I think again, when you think about the strengths and weaknesses, so to speak, of THC versus CBD, I think that it makes a lot more sense that CBD would be something that has promise for anxiety in disorders in the anxiety spectrum, such as post-traumatic stress disorder. So um, I have not used it much in that way. I think that we do have treatments that are, I mean, I'm not a trauma expert, but I do have patients who have PTSD. And I think for those patients, you know, more conventionally, we're treating them with SSRIs or uh, if they have nightmares, for example, and may treat that with prazosin. Um, I think part of the problem with PTSD has been that I think, and you're kind of alluding to this, the early hope was that whole plant cannabis may be helpful. And certainly anecdotally, a lot of patients say that, but the the early studies looking at cannabis and PTSD have not been very promising. And so I think as more is done, and, and you so correctly pointed out that there really is a, a desperate need for more rigorously designed trials. And that's something that a lot of people are working on every day. I think that the rate and scale of the research needs to improve. And that would be uh, assisted if a lot of the folks who are profiting from cannabis were to contribute. But I will say this, that certainly there are many groups who are interested in trying to advance the science. And I talk with people about that every day. And hopefully, you know, if we were to have this conversation in a year, you know, we'll have advanced the science quite a bit in that short period of time. I think 2021 and the and the, the last couple of months of 2020, I think are going to be big in terms of cannabinoids. There are a lot of um, studies that hopefully will get underway very shortly. Yeah. And I think that it seems to me that when we're talking about issues with the body, THC seems to be proving more beneficial. But when it comes to aspects of the mind, it seems like they might have some dangers uh, with the THC. There, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So again, I think w- when when we think about THC and CBD, again, as as I'm sure we, we discussed, so we're just scratching the surface with the cannabis plant, right? We've got hundreds of chemicals. We've got over 140 cannabinoids, and those are compounds specific to the cannabis plant. Um, we like things in the United States simple as, as much as we can have it. So we only really talk about two of those cannabinoids for the most part. I mean, I'm sure your listeners can rattle off many more than just two, but most folks who are learning about cannabinoids only know about delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, and then cannabidiol. So when we talk about THC and its promise, and then also the side effects, I think you're correct in pointing out that because of um, the receptors located throughout the body, um, CB1 receptors primarily in the brain, for example, I think that THC has potential to help um, nausea, for example, 
uh, hope, hopefully pain, things of that sort. But again, there are significant potential side effects as well, right? And those usually also have to do with the brain. And, and so that could be cognitive difficulties, it could be you know, addiction itself. Um, and then CBD, cannabidiol, functions as a buffer of sorts because it is competing with THC for certain precursors at the, at the plant level. And so again, you know, the caveat is we're, we are simplifying this quite a bit, but I think it is helpful to think about CBD as a buffer of sorts to the potentially harmful effects of THC. And so while, again, I want to be clear, I think THC has a lot of promise, right? We have dronabinol, which is FDA approved, which is essentially THC, um, more or less. CBD, on the other hand, um, doesn't have the abuse potential and has a more benign, but importantly, it does have potential side effects, but um, overall, a more benign side effect profile. So if you think about it as a buffer, then you can understand some of the potential effects of CBD. So for example, THC, if in some populations, you know, makes them psychotic. And so CBD has, as we've seen in some early studies, some antipsychotic potential. And THC can make some people anxious. And CBD, on the other hand, has anxiolytic effects with some folks. So I think it's exciting. And I think it, it really underscores again, and I think this is something that Dr. Ahmad and I have talked about a lot with our book, the importance of patients and their doctors being educated. They're not educated enough on this. Uh, less than 10% of medical schools spend any time talking about, or, or spend enough time talking about cannabinoids. And if you talk to doctors, four out of five doctors will tell you they want more education about cannabinoids. So there's, there's a tremendous need for that. But I think that ultimately, if the patient takes the time and is educated, listens to things like your podcasts, and they read on their own, and then they have a physician who is open-minded and willing to also learn, then I think a lot of good things can happen because that's when you can determine when cannabinoids may be helpful while also keeping in mind and keeping an eye out for potential side effects. Definitely. And so you're in a field of addiction where it has a little bit of controversy when it comes to cannabis. And a lot of people will say that cannabis is not addictive. And I, I know from many personal experiences that that just simply isn't true. I would hope that you could speak to that a bit. Yeah. So that's a great uh, point, Matthew. So I always want to be clear. Let's just talk about what the facts are, right? So if, is it, if it's a yes or no question, is cannabis addictive? Then the answer is yes. But I think we also have to point out, and this is really where things get so skewed in this debate, because if you're an anti-cannabis person, for example, then you won't point out the fact that the overwhelming majority of people who use cannabis never need to see somebody like me. They're, they're, never, they're not going to become addicted. And so, again, with medical cannabis being available in 33 states plus D.C. and having legalized recreational cannabis in 11 states plus D.C., more and more adults are using cannabis in the way in which they might use wine, for example, you know, using it, quote unquote, responsibly. So while I always want to be clear that, yes, in fact, people can use in a problematic way, for the most part, that is not what occurs. So, so I think that's, that's the unfortunate part of this debate is that 
people feel like if you present all the facts, then it may hurt their argument. When I don't think that's the case. I think that the American people are smarter than we give them credit for. And I think they can handle nuanced conversations. And that's why I've always advocated, even for uh, students, you know, high school students, elementary school students, I've always advocated for being honest with them about where the data are because they need to have all of the facts. And if you try to scare them away from things, you know, I think we've, we've learned that that doesn't work. And so, so with the cannabis debate, like so many other polarizing debates and, uh, you know, if you're living in 2020, you know, there are polarizing debates going on all around us. And I think cannabis is another one, but I, I would strongly advocate for education and having sensible conversations because if a patient comes into me this afternoon, I'm seeing another patient, you know, at the top of the hour here or the half hour. Um, if I'm not open-minded with them and I'm not fact-based and talking about the evidence, then they're going to sense that very quickly and they're going to make they have a, a variety of decisions to make. None of them are good though. They may say, look, I don't want to talk to this person about my interest in cannabis. They're not going to be willing to hear it. Or they may just say, look, this isn't where I can feel comfortable. I'm going to go somewhere else. Or they may hide their use of cannabis or CBD. And none of that is good. So we really want to create situations where people are educated, but also talking about this in a sensible way, because there are many, many pros and cons here. This can, fortunately, we're learning more about the benefits of cannabinoids, but we're also learning more and more about the, the downsides too. So you have to do this in a careful way if you're going to do this the right way. Right. Absolutely. And so with your new book, The Clinical Handbook, sorry, Medical Marijuana, A Clinical Handbook, I'm going to get that whole title out there for you. Um, so there's tons of research that went into this and it's exhaustive as far as I could tell. I was fascinated to re read through it. What were some of the things that really surprised you in your research? Well, I mean, I, I don't know how surprised I've become. I mean, I've been, you know, it's kind of been part of my work to really maintain as much of uh, knowledge of the research as possible. And I've been really doing, you know, trying to keep on top of the, the totality of the evidence, at least since 2014 or so. So, uh, and I wish, I wish it were, I wish there were more things coming out uh, more rapidly than, than they are. Um, but I think that, again, there are some areas that I was less familiar with, certainly. And so I think that for me as a clinician, uh, I'm very keen or I'm more, I know more about or I'm more apt to hear about clinical trials, whereas in some other areas like dermatology or ophthalmology that I don't routinely deal with, I think it was illustrative for me to see where the evidence is, and that's a lot of it is mostly preclinical, so animal research. But I think the encouraging piece was uh, that you know there's a lot of promise in so many areas, and that if we can again advance that science from animal studies and take it into humans, then you know that's really what we want, right? So you have to. And one of the things that I've learned in my research over the years is that it takes so many steps to get to a point where you can actually run a rigorous randomized controlled trial. And so you have to start with 
promising animal studies where you see a signal, as we say. And if you don't see that, then you're really not going to be able to progress to the next step, which might be what we call a human lab study, where you give somebody a dose or doses of a medicine under very controlled conditions. And then the randomized controlled trial is usually the last step. So you need to have good results at all three or about the first two anyway levels in order to get to that third step and certainly positive results at all three if you're ever going to have something available for widespread use. So I think that probably the most surprising thing to me was really taking the time to learn about certain medical fields that I'm less commonly treating patients in, like dermatology, uh, like maybe even rheumatology, uh, and ophthalmology and seeing where there was such promise. And, and I think that was a common message that because there's so many cannabinoids and because people have been interested in it, there has been a lot of exciting research that is preliminary, but still very exciting. Yeah, it seems that in the book, you break down different chapters based on um, almost um, the different fields of medicine. And it seemed like there was promise across all fields, head to toe, inside and out. Is that really the case? I agree. And I think that, so part of the reason for that is because the book is exhaustive in that way. So again, the, the you know, a, a summary of the book and, and some of the more recent research that's come out since we published the book um, is available at the website. So www.cannabistextbook.com. But you're right. When you think about each organ system or each area of medicine, and then you're willing to look at multiple cannabinoids, then I think it is probably easier to understand, right? So maybe for a given area, uh, THC may not be very promising, but CBD might and, and, and that sort of thing. So I think we, we're willing in certain cases to uh, dig a little deeper but we also pointed out areas where the research was not as promising. So again, we want to be balanced as much as possible because we know that that's not all that common. And I think that if you're somebody in the public and somebody's published a book on CBD or medical cannabis, I think it's fairly safe to say that it's going to be overwhelmingly positive. And so we want to be cautious and, and I think it is critical, again, as much as I'm so excited about CBD and I uh, will recommend it and prescribe it where appropriate in my practice, I think it's very important to, to keep in mind that there are potential side effects that we're learning more and more about. For example, um, drug-drug interactions. So most of the patients that I see are taking multiple medications. And so whenever I prescribe a new medicine, I need to go down the list and make sure that um, there aren't drug-drug interactions. And CBD does, in fact, that's another uh, manuscript that we should have released relatively soon, does in fact have some drug-drug interactions. And another important piece that came out within the last month was another uh, paper that came out, I think it was in Journal of Clinical Trials, that showed that in a CBD clinical trial, more than half of the patients who are taking a significant amount of CBD where we would think would be therapeutic. So again, a higher dose than most people would imagine. But again, we're talking about uh, hundreds of milligrams. More than half of those patients had increases in their liver function tests. So that doesn't mean necessarily that we're not talking about liver failure necessarily, but we are talking about something that is enough such that I would counsel 
patients to have your liver functions checked before starting CBD and then periodically thereafter. And our worry, Dr. Ahmad and myself, our worry is that there are a lot of patients who are suffering out there and they want to use CBD and other cannabinoids. And I can't blame them for that, but we want to help them understand the sort of safeguards that should be put in place in order to do that. And a lot of doctors just aren't used to these compounds and how to use them. And so they're not really aware. And that's what we're trying to do. So this is, that's part of what we go into the book. So how you would do these things, what sort of things we should be looking for, how to do this in order to give people what they're hoping for to see if these compounds may be helpful for them, but also importantly, mitigating that risk as much as we can. Yeah. And your book is, it's great for patients and potential patients and people curious about cannabis medicine, but I feel like it's critical for physicians and clinicians to be able to use your book as a resource to understand how to treat patients and the best ways to go about doing it. Yeah, no, uh, Dr. Ahmad and I, we we wholeheartedly agree. I think it's really challenging these days as as a doctor. So again, this is my area of interest or one of my areas of interest. And I work hard to try to stay on top of it, the research, and it's really hard to do that. I fortunately am lucky in the sense that I have colleagues that will email me and say, hey, did you see this paper? And a lot of times I have, but sometimes I haven't. And so when you think about that and you think about this is what I do, and it's this difficult for me to stay on top of the research, you can only begin to imagine someone who is a busy internal medicine doctor, a family practitioner, and they're seeing 30 patients a day, one after another, after another, every single day. How is that person going to stay on top of it? And that's what we're trying to do here with this book. We're trying to create a resource for them so that, yeah, I don't expect people to, you know, take it and read it cover to cover, but I think it would be something that hopefully they would think is worthwhile to have on their shelf so that if they do encounter a patient who's interested in something or they're about to see a patient, they can just take a peek and see, hey, where do things stand for this condition and what might my options be in this case? That's what we're hoping for. Early uh, returns have been pretty good. I think uh, people have been happy that that we've heard, uh, you know, their experiences with the book. And so hopefully that will continue. Great. I hope so too. And I want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got a patient coming in pretty soon here. So is there anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with before we sign off? I would just just make a plug for ongoing education. Educate yourself. Just by turning into a podcast like yours, Matthew, I think they're, you know, they're separating themselves. But I think that, and that's great, but I think that that educated person, the person, your listener, I think has a responsibility to try to educate others too. And so they may be somebody who is very much in favor or very bullish on cannabinoids, but just keep in mind that, you know, as, as again, 2020 is a great example of that. There's just so many people who feel so strongly about so many different things. And I would just advocate for trying to be cognizant of the fact that not everyone is going to think about these things in the same way. So tread softly in the early going, try to get a sense for where people are, but then try to have a sensible conversation with them. You know, why may, why are you concerned about this? What has your experience been? You know, try to learn from other people while encouraging them to, to learn more about it, you know, share your knowledge. And I think that's what you've done, obviously, in your podcast. So I think that's really what we should be shooting for in these areas. 
a lot of people know a lot more about certain aspects. You know, I'm always trying to learn from my patients and their experiences. You know, they may have been doing this a lot longer than I have, and they may have experience that I could benefit from. So I think that's one thing that we could, we could do is that we all can try to be tolerant of opinions that may not be exactly the same as ours in order to try to have everybody learn, have everybody benefit. And I think that's what's happening. I do think that, like I said, I think, you know, maybe we'll meet again in a year or so and do another one of these podcasts. And I, hopefully at that point, we'll have made some major advances and hopefully, for example, have some rigorous trials underway looking at either whole plant cannabis or CBD for chronic pain in a way that really has not been done yet. And I'm, I'm very hopeful about it. Great. Well, that gives me hope to see how hopeful you are. Well, Dr. Hill, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know it's short and, and that you spent it with me and our listeners is it's an honor, truly. Yeah. Thanks a lot. No, I hope, hope everyone has a great day and I appreciate you tuning in. Thanks. There you have it. Short and sweet. Dr. Hill brought the wisdom once again. I'm so grateful that he was willing to come back on the show and share his knowledge with all of you because he is such a wealth of information and really brings the balance of the good and the bad that's involved with cannabis medicine. So make sure you go over and check out CannabisTextbook.com. That's the site that he and Dr. Ahmad put together in order to allow for the upcoming research and allow for the news and allow for all these things that keep coming up in this ever-changing world of cannabis medicine to have a place that you can continue to go to and continue to educate yourselves. I know that I keep going back there to find out more information. So please make sure to check that out. And also go over to wherever it is that you're listening to this. Give me a rating. Let me know what you think. Shoot me an email, Matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com. Let me know how you're feeling about things, who else you want to hear on the show, how I can do better, whatever it might be. I'm willing to listen to it because I want to keep bringing you amazing guests like Dr. Hill. So until next time, my friends, please stay healthy and enjoy yourselves. This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020. All rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening. <laughs>